long, long time. Oh, yeah, good. Good. Everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain, man. It's a holiday for us. Memorial. Is it? Yes, Memorial. You guys celebrate Memorial Day? Um, well, we have a bank holiday now, but I don't think it's for Memorial Day. <laughs> well, you memorial at? What's the memorial? Like for all like the American soldiers that died throughout war or sacrificed for their country, it's Memorial mm. Day. So it's like barbecues and you like pay homage to the anyone who died at war. Mm. Oh, we have yeah, we have the same in November. Oh, November. Okay. Yeah, with no barbecues. Nope. <laughs> Church services. Oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Look, my brother, this is a time capsule view. How do we get Jed to now from the beginning? So, however your journey gets there, whatever you want to say, whatever you don't want to say, it's all on you. Okay, wait, so what's the... What's the I, I just tell you about my life. Yeah, it's like you. It's like you're doing a master class on yourself. So imagine your kids being your age, and they literally have your thoughts, you know? Because, like, our grandparents weren't from that era where they expressed themselves, you know? So we didn't really get their unfiltered thoughts when they were, like, in their 30s or when they were 28 or anything else because they weren't they weren't used to that. So this goal of this podcast is to make a germ time capsule of you. To be like, it's about being alone with your own thoughts. So how did you get to this man that you are today? Your thoughts, your ideologies, everything else. How do we get there? Hmm. Imagine a character arc for Batman. Where did where does childhood come from? How do we get to Batman? Um, how do we get to Batman? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I suppose as soon as you start telling a story of your life, it feels like made up because. You can't include everything from your life. You can't make up your life. That's the one thing about it is just because your life is your life. No one else has your story. No one mm. else has your DNA. This is your specific lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, I feel like my perception of my life story has changed over time. But that's the best part about it. Mm. Imagine mm. this time counts of how you feel now. Imagine 10 years from now to be like, okay, let's redo it again, you know? Hmm. So it's like this time comes with where you are right now in life. Well, maybe you could ask me questions. No, I will. That's how it's going to be. That's what's, it's, that's what's going to be. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Well, I'm right, ready. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm ready. Not. All right. Here we go. I'm going to hit this record button. All right. Here we go. All right, folks. Welcome back to this podcast. It's called One Man, One Tree in a Hill. It's a podcast about being alone with your own thoughts. And when we're not alone in our thoughts, it's about a time capsule of a person. How do we get to here, but how do we get from the beginning? And ladies and gentlemen, my special guest all the way from the UK, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jed Cass. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. We met, uh, me and you met like two years ago. Oh, a year and a half ago, we met in London at a comedy show. Yeah. And those were one of the funnest times of my life, hanging out in London. Yeah. All the comedians are super different and super in tune to where it all like how's it going out there for london like how are you guys post covid are you guys finally free are you guys still confined or like on are you guys uh, on curfews out there or are you guys completely done now everybody's out and about really yeah very much does everyone <laughs> have to be vaccinated or they don't care um people are being vaccinated i think they've got up to people in their 30s now Oh yeah, really? That's pretty good. Yeah. So that's how many 
well, at least people who've had the first vaccination. And this is the first sunny bank holiday weekend since lockdown lifted. So it's people are out. What was you guys locked down like? Did you guys have a specific time to go back inside or was it very loose? Uh, no curfew. I would say it was fairly haphazard. For example, um, people couldn't go on day trips to, to the beach somewhere. You might, might know someone who was stopped by police going to the, going to the beach. Um, but schools are, have been open for a while, so <laughs> you're not allowed to mix in, in pubs, for example. So you have to stay in household groups or you're not allowed household mixing. Um, it changed a bit, but like one or two households couldn't mix or this kind of thing. But then obviously like a hundred households could mix if schools were open. So kind of a haphazard. There was also a bit between two different lockdowns where uh, the government were advising people to go out to restaurants and eat. It was called eat out to help out. To so help they, out. they wanted people to go out and then lock down again. Wow. Yeah. How did you enjoy the pandemic? Did you enjoy anything about the pandemic? Did you learn anything new? Like, did you enjoy the time alone or did you not like the time alone? Yeah, for me, it's been a very transformative year, I think, because life pre-pandemic was... I wouldn't say a series of distractions, but something like that, where there is never um, never any stillness. Mm. So everyone having to be still, more or less, or in the lucky position where they could be still because they didn't have uh, a job they had to go to or, or something like that, or kids, then, yeah, it's been a transformative time of reflection, I would say. I realized I realized I had so much time on my hands. I realized, oh man, this is what it feels like to take a break. This is what it feels like to chill or wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like, oh man, I don't got to go to work. I can work from home. This makes you how much time that we really waste just commuting all the time, you know? Mm. If we could literally work from home the whole time, I'm pretty sure some people would just enjoy doing that, you know? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of. A lot of reassessing what's important, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I definitely mm. agree with that one. So let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. How do we become this man right now? How do we become you? How do we get your thoughts? Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? Where are you born? Uh, I was born in Royal Victoria Hospital in Bournemouth in 1990. Bournemouth is a small seaside town on the south coast of England. Um, it's, yeah, it's a it's it's a small town, and then I grew up in an even smaller town, eight miles um, east of that, called New Milton. How small, like a community of like twenty thousand people, or how small was it? Uh, fifty thousand, around. I think it's around yeah, fifty thousand people. Well, everybody knew everybody and stuff like that. A lot of people knew a lot of people. It's definitely a, a local kind of place. So my mum's. From there, my dad's from Lagos, Nigeria. Oh, really? So I grew up with all my mum's family and they're all from about a 10 mile radius of that town. Or maybe even smaller than that for generations. So they're 
very local. I guess maybe in the States you'd say their country. Yeah, that's people. What yep. So they're that. And yeah, it was just me and my mum. And yeah, it was a very, I mean, I was the only black person I knew. Do you have um, any early remembrance of your dad at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit, a little bit. Their relationship broke down before I was born, but. Oh, wow. He was around a little bit. How do they meet? How do they meet? Do you know the story about how they met? I think they met when my mom was at art college. I'm not sure. Mm. So dad's from Nigeria and mom's from England. They met mm. and they made you. <laughs> yeah. I think it was quite an intense relationship. Are you the only child or is there more? You have multiple siblings? Uh, it's just me. Really? It's the child of my, of my parents, yeah. But I have a half-sister who lives in Bristol. Bristol, Bristol, England. Bristol, England, yeah. So this yeah, is Bristol, Connecticut. Here, I was like, oh, she's in the states. <laughs> well, I guess people from England at some point went over to America. Yeah. And then said, we're going to call this place Bristol. <laughs> a good point. So being an only child, right? What is your early remembrance of like, we call it elementary school, it's like primary school, like when you're like from five to like six? Do you remember those days? Do you remember growing up? Being the only child, do you think you were spoiled a little bit, or do you think, or you just don't have remembrance because you're from a small town? Mm. Um. Yeah, I remember I, I went to Catholic schools, so I remember my first day of school. What was that like? Uh, what was your day? Uh, my first day of school, we showed up, and all of the kids were building a big chair for the teacher out of building blocks. Chairs. That was what I thought school was. <laughs> Some kind of weird child worship of a <laughs> this unfriendly teacher. Um, and I met my friend Francis, so we're still friends. So when when we were both four. Really? So that's your earliest friend, Francis. Mm. So when you're like inside this small town, right? It's just you and your mom. So you say like three or four years old is when dad dad leaves or when they split a little bit? Um, they kind of split up before I was born. Really? So, you so have, yeah, they didn't live together. So you always have like mom's house, dad's house growing up? Just mom's house, really. I went to my dad's place a couple of times, but I don't really remember. But the Nigerian culture is very strong, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, I didn't really get a lot of that. He didn't really... Hmm. Uh, I think... There's like um, a lot of people came over to Britain at, at, throughout the last few centuries at different times for different reasons. And a lot of people came over from former British colonies, which Nigeria is. Nigeria was, uh, is not, was not a country until Britain made it one. So it drew its borders according to what was most convenient for trade. And it was named by, I think, Lady Lugard. So it, it's like, a, it's a British, it's got, had a British stamp on it. And then a lot of those people have come to Britain at different times mm. for educational or employment reasons. Yeah. Have a better life, basically. Um, so my dad is Yoruba, 
which is oh, one yes. of the yeah it's a lot of yoruba people right? <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah and um yeah there's a lot of yoruba people in brazil america, in texas. america yeah in texas really we call it chocolate city in houston okay my yeah friend, it's different it's yeah because his my friend when we went to college he was yoruba and his he's dating a girl who was Igbo. And he was like, I can't bring her home. I was like, but you're both Nigerian. He goes, trust me, I can't do it. It's not the same, yeah. <laughs> because Nigeria is a kind of, the lines of where people, the geographical parts where people, different tribes lived, mm -hmm. were kind of like just drawn over <laughs> in a square. Mm -hmm. So you get Yoruba land doesn't necessarily fit within Nigeria, nor does it take up all of Nigeria, it kind of blurs. So there's Yoruba people in Benin and Togo, mm -hmm. as well as South Nigeria. So growing up as this, would you could do they back in London? Did they? I mean in England, did they call you biracial? Were you considered biracial or? Uh, in my time, just black because oh, yeah. everyone else was white. <laughs> they don't really differentiate that way. In my where I'm from. But when I came to London, yeah, that's people do differentiate between mixed race and black because there's something to differentiate between, you know. Right. So yeah, yeah. Small, small town. Your mom was it? Do you think it was hard on your mom raising a black child, or did she ever talk to you about that? Um, I think there was some discomfort, but it wasn't talked about. Mm. So, um. I think that's definitely like a, well, I think that's quite taboo to talk about, which I would sometimes talk about in when I was doing comedy, that um, at least in the UK, a lot of the people that came over from the Commonwealth, so the Caribbean, Africa, were, because they were coming for employment or educational reasons, a lot of them were men. Mm -hmm. And then in times of, when Africans were enslaved, people who were free, it was more men, basically. So um, a lot of them would meet English women. And there's definitely mixed, well, biracial, we call it mixed race here. Um, most biracial couples will be a um, African man with, or a black man with a white woman. Yeah. Usually, and there's also like, in probably uncomfortable conversations to have about what what some white women really like like black men and why that is because of projections of exoticism or uh, yeah whatever but so this yeah theory in america this is a theory that my uncle told me that um in the 1960s in america there was a sexual revolution because they integrated the school system right so cultures were like mixed together and my uncle told me, like, during the war, like, all the white soldiers would tell all these foreign women that the black dudes were monkeys. Mm. Oh, yeah. They told them they were monkeys, so all these women were curious, and they said, like, at 12 o'clock in the morning, the men would turn into monkeys. So my uncle told me he was with this woman when he was at war, and uh, this girl got out of the bed and looks at him and said, what's wrong? He goes, I'm waiting for you to turn into a monkey. And he was, I was like, mm. yeah. He goes, I'm about to turn into one, but the tail isn't in the back of my body. It's in the front. It's in the front. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's so yeah the curiosity that's wild you know that's what he said he said it was just like everyone not knowing about cultures and races and blending everything together 
That's how it is here in small towns. Small towns is very taboo to be like a black and white girl, but in bigger cities, everybody's mixed, so nobody really cares, you know? Mm. That's what I learned about your stand-up, too. When I listened to your stand-up, I, um, I think we're in London, and he said, he's like, I'm already a minority. You remember that joke? Mm. Like, I'm black, I'm trans, everything else. I was like, Jesus Christ, he's all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When uh, when you when you're growing up, when you're growing up, like before you before you transition, do you guys say transition out there, or is it like more of an American thing? No, we say that here as well. Yeah, transition there. Like, did you think your town? Did you like when you were growing up in your town? Did you just like always know if your friends were they like very receptive to you, or because everybody mm -hmm. remembers their first friend? You know, what was that first friend like? That first lasting bond. So you and Francis, like, where did you guys meet? Uh, well, we met on that first day of school. Mm -hmm. So in the in the classroom, everyone was building a chair for the teacher. Um, friends I had, I didn't. Uh, I was quite closed off as a growing up. Uh, I was quite guarded because uh, personality. I'm quite sensitive, maybe quite quiet person. Um, and a lot of the things I was experiencing, I was experiencing alone because, uh, like I said, my mom was not really able to talk about anything to do with race beyond it shouldn't matter or, and things like that. So, uh, give me an example. Like, what do you mean? Like, growing up, like when you're growing up, did you hear like racist things in your neighborhood that you didn't? Does that make really? sense? You rarely hear, oh, so everyone just like ignored it. No one made it seem like, oh, this is. Um, in Britain, this may be different than America, maybe, um, or maybe even bigger, different than a city. I haven't really heard explicit mm -hmm. racism until I came to London. Really? Hmm. But maybe the same in the South. Maybe people don't say it. <laughs> you just know. Oh, that's a good point. And you can be polite, but you can they'll see the looks yeah or you may be treated differently so i would for example notice that people would respond to my mom one way and then i would appear and then it would become clear that i was her child and then they would change their behavior towards her so there was something about me that meant something but since no one would tell me what it was or talk to me about it and when I tried to talk about it, I got to, you know, my family weren't very receptive or understanding. So I stopped talking about it. What age did you stop talking about it? Like you stopped talking about it at like 10 or, cause I think especially children are very observant to what's going on. You know? uh, I must've stopped talking about it quite early. But then I, I would, I tried again in my teens, I think when I was probably becoming more outspoken or trying to be. Mm -hmm. And then I remember stopping again about 14. Wow. So like, what, so like you would see your mom talking to people and everyone's nice. And then when they see her, they would like look at her with disgust a little bit or just like, oh wow, what's. Yeah, I guess nothing as strong as, it's like a, Trying to think of something comparable. I say it Maybe like if someone has a disfigurement. Oh wow! So people are extra nice, maybe, mm -hmm. or 
but yeah, something like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah, this is very common for people to say, oh, I don't even see you as black, I see you as a person, or I don't see you as this, as though it's uh, some, a disability to look past, because to them it is. That's a good point. But they're not being horrible. So it's kind of like everyone's seeing this different person, but instead of asking questions, they just stared. Yeah, well, sometimes people would ask questions. Um, I guess, yeah, maybe it's a bad comparison to compare it to the American South because people are familiar with each other, at least, you know. Uh, but yeah, where I'm from, most people haven't even met a black person before. Really? Yeah, so they sometimes they would be curious, so they'd be like, just curious, uh, maybe like that, <laughs> maybe like your uncle's story, <laughs> waiting for you to turn into a monkey, like the kind of like that. Oh, so like blatant, like ignorance. Yeah, yeah, ignorance, but like, uh, yeah, like, like a kind of fascination. Like touch your hair or like wonder certain thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. When you were when you were growing up, right? When you're growing up as um forgive me if i if i said growing up yeah. when you were when you were a girl right when you were before you transitioned mm. you feel like you had certain mannerisms as a little girl like oh we need you to be nice we need you to wear a dress play with barbies and stuff like that was it that type of custom growing up where you were um i don't know if it was like i guess it's custom no more than anywhere else in in my town, but my mum was definitely quite um, prescriptive about what I should wear and how I should behave. So, yeah. Give me an example, prescriptive, like what? Um, if I think I got I got some like clothes from a family friend or something that were boys clothes and I really liked them and she didn't want me to wear them. So she threw them away without telling me or she would kind of tell me off for be being acting in certain ways, things like that. I guess, yeah, in terms of being raised, I guess I separate that from being raised as a girl. That's more like having a parent who is... Tradition. Yeah, who's maybe a bit restrictive because plenty of people are raised as girls and they can just wear whatever. Mm. That's not a problem. Um, but yeah, being raised as a girl... Would I you, guess um, having trans... Was it strict? Like, was she a strict mom? I've got nothing to compare it to. But I guess so, in some ways. Stuff like that? Do y'all believe in that? Whipping, spanking? What's that? Spanking um, takes a belt and swipe it across your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad might believe in that. Um, <laughs> that's Nigerian. <laughs> um, uh, my mom did a bit, I think. But not... Uh, Extreme. Not loads, yeah. She was more with the emotional. <laughs> <laughs> emotional spanking. Yeah, yeah. So right, um, we're at the age of five, right? We're at the age of five. You meet your first friend, Francis, right? You guys are building mm -hmm. for your teacher. Uh, was your teacher nice? Was she a nice person? Do you remember like early remembrances of your teacher? Was she nice? Was she welcoming? First teacher was Mrs. Walsh. And no, she wasn't particularly... Welcoming, I think she was getting ready to retire and it probably had enough of everything. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine what a teacher yeah. was about to be like. 
She used to wear like the, um, you know, there's like golf pants, like the, the plaid. Is it plaid? Yeah, plaid. Yeah, the plaid. Yeah, yeah. She'd wear that. Um. Yeah, I think they cast they cast me in the nativity as Mary, and I think it was the school trying to like make a show of not excluding the black, the only black kid. <laughs> like, see, we made the only black kid one of the main characters in the nativity. Well, you would. I didn't want. I didn't want to do it, and then she stood me up and was like, "Do you want to do it or not?" And I was like, I felt like I couldn't say no because I knew that other people wanted to do it. <laughs> so, if I turned it down, I would be like disrespecting the role. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Black Mary, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. We're not gonna do Black Jesus. That'll shake up the whole town. But we'll make Mary black. <laughs> yeah. Well, you always have the plastic doll, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the same. What type of student were you growing up? Were you very smart? Did it work? Did uh, did education come easy to you? Mostly, I wasn't so good at um, the maths stuff. I think I've, I found it hard and also uh, I had like, my, my mom would like help me with it, but it was, her help was not very helpful. <laughs> so I, then I got like a complex about maths, about how I wasn't good at maths and then it would get worse and then I would find it more difficult. And then, but um, in general, I was conscientious and got high grades. Oh, that's good. So we're like seven, right? You meet Francis. How are you meeting other students at school? Are you still this internal shy person? Yeah, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was shy. I was more um, guarded. So I might be friendly, but I might not share anything personal. Were you, so people liked me. But were you, were you guarded because of your mother? Or were you guarded because of this internal thing? Um, probably yeah, early experiences, probably, uh, I think I probably felt like it's not possible to, uh, it's not, other people around me can't be relied upon to look out, look after me, mm. so I must always be vigilant. Realize that that early in life, like when you were like eight, you knew that you just felt that. Yeah, I don't think I thought it consciously, but I was very probably not. Maybe I was getting that way. I remember being about ten and then being consciously deciding that I'm not going to show any emotions to anybody anymore. Yeah. At ten years old, you felt that. Yeah, I think there's um, a lot going on probably in my early life, but not very talked about a lot of like low anxiety that wasn't addressed about like our living situation and then um all this stuff to do with my dad probably my mom had her own issues and was training to be a teacher at the same time as having a baby she was only 24 so mm. i think it everything was like in place but in a very stressful way, <laughs> in a very like, things have to happen this way because, or, or else kind of thing. So you felt the stress of your parents growing up? Um, yeah, I think I would have absorbed it without knowing what it was. 
as you're growing up, what do you ever wonder where dad is? Are you going to visit dad? Like not where dad is, but like what's the, what are these nights like when you're going to stay with your dad's for the weekend? What's that like? Um, I didn't go too much. My dad had, my dad was not like, um, in the same way that my mom was not really ready to be a parent, my dad was also not. So he was quite, he had his own emotional issues. He could be quite intense. Wasn't, um, he wasn't like, um, you know, like ruffling your hair and (laughs) asking you how school is, you know, it's more like, uh, it was quite intense. So he, He'd be loving, like hugging, but quite um, sit there. Um, and then he'd like cook cook for me or something. But it's very, not really interacting with me. Wow, like very- Which might, yeah, cultural maybe, a little bit. Yeah, especially being your dad's his only daughter, his first daughter, you know, it'd be more like mm-hmm. a level. Well, who was that loving parent? Who was that? Was it your grandparent? Who was the one that gave you love? Because everyone um, kind of like, not ready who was a person who was ready for you to come out like oh wow this is my girl this is my she's the one of our family you know who was that person that was giving you love growing up um i guess my nan but not, yeah probably my nan which side your dad's mom or your mom uh my mom's mom yeah no i don't know my i don't know my um mom dad's, mom. dad's family at all wow so your nan, what's she like? She's more yeah, she, so she's like, you know, I was saying earlier, like country people. So my nan is like country. So she's lived where she lives her whole life. And she'll like, she can tell you all what the, the names of different plants. And she can like cook meals with her eyes closed. And she's like quite a rebellious person, I guess. Um, very warm, talks a lot. Yeah. So she was the one that was happy and didn't care about anything else. That was, that was grandma's baby. Yeah. I guess she was also, yeah, because she would have been older. She would have been like 60. No, she would have been younger than that. In her 50s, I guess. That's a young woman. Yeah, it's a grandma then. Yeah, yeah. The young family. What was her nickname for you? Did she have you a nickname or anything else? Um, hmm, I don't remember. I think what nicknames? That's funny. Yeah, my mom used to call me Sweet Pea. I think. Yeah, down south, Sweetie Sugar. That's what. Is we it? What did you get called? My, my granddad had a different one. He called me Mister Tallyboo. <laughs> Char- Charlie, which is <laughs> Char- Charlie. Where's Charlie from? What's up, Charlie? That's what he would just say. What's up, Charlie? Okay. My my dad's family is from like. Trenton, North Carolina. So whatever town you can think of, think of like ten thousand people. Mr. Big Shot. Uh then my mom's mom will call me Mr. Snabblejackal. Snabble Snabblejackal. So they make up all all his names. Pee Wee. Everybody called each other Pee Wee. You were a junior, like if your dad was you get the same name as your dad, everyone would call you Junebug. 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 Is he, did they say that out there? Junebug? We don't have the junior thing. So yeah, if someone's named after their father, it'd be like Junebug. Uh, or yeah, Junebug or Trey mm. if you're third. But yeah, that was that was it. So at least you had your grandmother. So your grandmother was the one that gave you that love that you needed, right? Wait, Trey is the third? Trey's the third, yeah. 
Ah. Great songs. There's three of them. Tremaine one, Tremaine two, Tremaine three. Uh, Uno. I dope. never knew that. Trace. Spanish. Trace. Huh. That's cool. Um. Yeah. So your grandma, your grandma was giving you this love. She was the one. Uh, was she married? Did she have a grand? Did you? you have? A, what do you call your? You said nan. So what do you call your granddad? Uh, yeah, they were they were divorced like a long time ago. But she had a partner, um, who was my step granddad, who was Welsh. Um, what is Welsh? Like Welsh is a different type of British, a different type of. <laughs> yeah, Welsh is a. Uh, let's see. You have Welsh. You know the name Llewellyn? Yes. That's Welsh. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's like a, it's like on the, the, the middle west of the UK. Are those people different? Like the Welsh people, do they speak differently? Yeah, they speak differently. They have a different language, actually. Oh, what language do they speak? They speak Welsh, so... Um, yeah, 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 it's, it is Welsh, yeah. Well, they're, they're Celt Celtic people. Oh, Celtic. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So they, yeah, Irish people speak Irish. Scottish people have Scottish, which is Gaelic. And even Cornish people are Celtic as well. So they have Cornish, but no one really speaks it. I think some people are relearning it. But Wales, they have Welsh. So good day is Borada. Borada. Yeah. Microwave is pop the ping. <laughs> so they have like up, like names for modern things as well because people use Welsh there. They teach it in schools and people speak it and the signs are in Welsh and English. So yeah, it's quite significant to people. Grandma's partner and him, did they speak Welsh to each other? No, my nan doesn't. How did you, he, um, how did you pick it up? That's just, that's just, I only know that oh, <laughs> those phrases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't speak Welsh. <laughs> I'd like to. Um, but yeah, so he he was my step granddad who was with my nan, so they, they were a couple and it was it was fun to go around to theirs. And my step granddad was probably he was probably like the most fun. So they oh like they they were the ones that gave you that that love that you wanted, you know what I mean? That made you feel like, oh it's here we come. She's here today. Um, yeah, they were like that, more like that. Okay, so now we're at we're at like age nine. Age nine. We're going through still primary school. You mean any new friends now? We got Francis. Any more people start joining the team? Um, in primary school, my friends were yeah, it was me, Francis, a guy called Timmy, and Dean. Who else? Yeah. There are a few other characters around, but I suppose we, those were the people that we hung out with most. Stephen. Yeah, it's mainly just hanging out, playing pretend games. What's a what's a typical like day since it's not a big city? Like what's the fun thing to do? Is it do you guys play football, soccer, cricket? As a teenager? Or like that when you're like outside playing, you know? Like I'm from like I'm from the south, so when I was like ten or eleven we either play like the Sega Genesis or we'd just be on trampolines out all night, jumping on a big trampoline, playing tag. We could play this game called Manhunt where you had to chase everybody. 
Like, what was it like out there? What were you guys doing for fun? It's great. Hmm. I guess it yeah, varied for different people, but definitely PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Francis had a PlayStation, so we found that. And then, yeah, you'd like ride your bikes around <laughs> the area. There's like, I don't really know. I don't really know what, what you do when you're a kid, but it's in, you get very absorbed in it. So I think, yeah, cycling around, playing games with whatever you can find around. <laughs> Um, because me and you were only a year apart. I'm 89, you're 90, so yeah, we're both in this world at the same time. So I'm curious, like, how we definitely on different sides of the globe, right? Like, what was your favorite TV show growing up? What at what age? What's the t- this TV show growing up? Like, when you're like, so for me, when I was like from like 10, it was Family Matters with Urkel and everything else. Mm-hmm. That would play all the time. Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I just remember a lot of TV. We had Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> What's that? The Simpsons. Um, there's loads of stuff I used to watch. We had so in the UK we have something called CBBC, which is the BBC but for kids. So you pretty much watch what was on there. Oh, I would anyway. I was really into the Teenage Mutant. Harry Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Favorite movie, the first one or the second one? Oh, shit. I just said I was really into it, and I, I don't think I've seen the film, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean was I was into this one VHS tape I had, and I would watch that again and again. It was a TV series. There was also Batman, the animated series, speaking of Batman. Iron Man was a good animated series. I remember those. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had cousins, so um, we play together. I don't, I can't remember what though. Just, I guess kids just, yeah, you just make up a game, don't you? Oh, can you hear this? Yeah, um, they're laying down a wooden floor, 
I'm cutting the panels to fit around something, I think. But... Okay. <laughs> so, you got your cousins, right? Cousins. Yes. How many brothers um, does your mom have? She has two brothers who are fraternal twins. Oh, wow. Hmm. How many kids do they have? Um, my One of my uncles has a daughter who's um, Danish, so she's in Copenhagen. So... With our cousins, everything else, and you're still the only only black dude in your town, right? Yeah, yeah, my cousin. Yeah, obviously my cousin's white. Right, so I mean, so, yeah. I guess I could go downstairs if, um, if it's okay to change location. Okay, no problem. That. So, we are, so family, your brother, your uncles are fraternal twins, right? And uh, you're still this, probably only, still only the black dude in your town, right? Yeah, that's right. So only only black dude in your town. And uh, as you get into your teenagers, that's when everybody starts developing the adolescence. Like, when do you start feeling like that you're different? Do you ever feel like that? Like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm different on the inside. Um... Not just like with like with skin, because I feel like sometimes when you start observing the world, you start noticing how far you really stand out, especially if you're the only black dude around, right? But this mm. is when Tiger Woods was out, so people probably thought you were Tiger Woods. Mm. Yeah, people would often um, compare me to whatever black person popped into their head. <laughs> like, um, I remember my friends saying I look like Denzel Washington. Like, as a girl <laughs> or like um yeah just whoever or like a friend's dad saying so um in the uk sometimes because some people have african names so people will say like willa willa or something like a friend's dad would call me that or people would just compare me to whoever did it ever get annoying though that the only black person they think of is what they thought of you, especially as a girl, right? Did you have big hair, did you have a lot of long hair, or you had short hair? Um, I had, dif had different kinds of hair growing up. Like I used to have braids, and then yeah, when I was a teenager, I like wanted to fit in, so I wanted to have no. Actually, that was probably from the age of like eleven. I wanted to have straight hair because everyone else had, did. Um, so I had like my, my hair relaxed once. Um, and then, yeah, when I was older, I had it relaxed again. Um, I, yeah, I think I just felt uncomfortable a lot of the time, I, but to me, that was normal. Being grown up as a black girl is completely different because the hair is different. Everything else. Did you like, did everyone know how to do your hair or no? Um, uh, my mom would do my hair. Yeah. Like, but did she, she know? Would, that? Did she, she would braid it. Like... Oh, she knew how to do black hair. She was okay. Yeah. yeah. She was all right. <laughs> That's a that's a skill, you know. Don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black girl's hair. She used to like um, get really angry when she was doing it, like impatient. 
up because it was quite took a while. Um, but then recently she was like, oh, I, I miss doing your hair. It's a whole, it's a whole journey. Sometimes with like biracial babies, sometimes they have to take them to like the black nails, black hair salons because they don't know how to do it. So they have to learn how to braid, how to wrap the hair at night and everything else, making sure that the, the hair stays in the proper mm -hmm. position and stuff. Yeah, she would do that sometimes. Like I would go, like we go to Southampton, which is the nearest big city with any like sort of Africa being population. Yeah. So, but that was kind of uncomfortable as well. Cause then I just felt like they would always just think, I don't know, just kind of, they just think I was quite strange, I suppose. Well, walk me through that. Walk me through that. So you're in like a, a small town. You finally go around people that look like you, right? You're a black little girl and you go to this Afro Caribbean shop. What do they say? I know you, do you like understand what they're saying? Or are they speaking in their own dialects and stuff? No, they speak English, just like, um, but then, yeah, speaking like dialects, there's like mannerisms, right? And ways of talking. So I was watching, I was watching an interview with Jeannie Yashere where she was, so she's like very Nigerian in a lot of ways. Like she's known for being a Nigerian British comedian, yeah. but, uh, when she goes to Nigeria, even though she understands things, they, and she looks like totally African Nigerian, like they still are like, no, you're not from here. Cause they can just tell by mannerisms mm. and the way you are, oh, the way you dress, the way you seem that you're just not from there. Mm. So I guess it would be like that. So I guess that's quite a common thing, right? For biracial people is not, not being, not belonging in either, wow. either group that their parents belong to. So maybe I would encounter black people, but they would often have a different background to me. And they, that's often, yeah, because they'd have been brought up by a parent who was like culturally from like Caribbean or, or at least they'd be this, they'd be seen as the same as one of their parents. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think it's, Tricky. And then the people that you see yourself like, they don't think, see you the same. So I would see my white friends as the same as me. And we could be friends for years and then end up having a discussion where it turns out they don't really see me as the same as them or equal to them. They don't see you? Oh, oh okay. So like I had a friend for quite a few years at secondary school who is now a doctor. Um, but I remember having an argument with her and, and one break time in the library when we were about 14 or 15 because she was arguing with me that black men are biologically more violent than white men. So she, this is something she believes. So she, <laughs> she's a doctor now. So it's like, it's quite, um, you can be friends with someone, but they, you, unless you like give everyone a questionnaire <laughs> or maybe, yeah, it's, sometimes people would have views that you didn't know about until you've been friends with them for a few years or um yeah or they say something that you didn't think they would say i think the best thing about like we're, we're millennials the best thing about generation z kids are they they ask those questions early mm. like these young kids growing up they're very in tune with their emotions they're very expressive and they're like some of them like are trying to combat racism at such a young age, you know? Mm. 
like addressing what's going on with the internet, being more aware of what's of, of how they see themselves in the world or how the world is being treated. Like we had a lot of information growing up, but we had a lot of lack of communication because we kept everything in. Mm. You know, I'm pretty sure like a lot of some of your family members never expressed how they felt about their views, you know? Uh, yeah, what about race or in general? Or in general, you know, sometimes right, they right. probably felt like they had to censor themselves around you. Sense themselves around me. Maybe, I mean, that what said? yeah, yeah. sense themselves around you, how they feel about black people, you know? Sometimes you can have those, because I'm pretty sure like in a black household, how they feel about certain situations or systemic racism, it's completely different in how they outwardly express it to other races, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. That feeling of um, people censoring themselves around you is quite a disconcerting feeling that you can't really ask people about either. <laughs> like, I get a feeling that you're holding back, but I don't know about what. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's tricky, yeah. I remember, um, I remember my nan once talking about my dad, and she said, I don't have any problem with people, but your dad wasn't very nice to your mum with what she was trying to, she was, yeah. She was trying to like no, no, say that she she didn't people. think much of him without saying, without bringing his race into it, mm. which but it did mean something to her. So that was, yeah. So as you're this this black girl, you're this black girl growing up and growing, growing up in England. Do you ever feel a sense of wanting to connect with more black women? Hmm. Not, no, not really. The only black girl in your school. Well, I wanted to connect with the, there were like, in secondary school, no, there were like, I think seven black people. Mm -hmm. um, not from the same background, so a few mixed race people and their siblings. Okay. And a couple of people who were from, like, there was a guy called Tappy from Zambia who'd like come here. So not really like a, I don't know, I guess it's like, just because you have one thing in common doesn't mean you're gonna be able to hang out as friends on that. And if it's only seven people out of a thousand, it's like a low chance that you're gonna find someone who's both black and who you have stuff in common with. I do find this, this may not be here, but I found this around the world. Black people will try to find other black people, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, it gravitated towards... There was a black I, Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think there were, so in lots of small towns around England, there are mixed race people, but it tends to be like quite an isolated experience. So, but I did know of a couple of others. Um, but another thing is that it's hard to get around where, where I'm from. So you need a car, basically. Okay. Um, and yeah, the internet was like people, there wasn't like Facebook or anything. So um, yeah, it was just more like, and the other thing was it was completely normal to me. So I didn't really have anything to compare it to. Mm. So I didn't really think, oh, I'm lacking something because it was just my life. So my, my, my childhood is completely different. My dad, was he's a Southern black dude, right? 
and mm. he was in the military, so he moved around. So he lived in all these different countries, right? So mm. when we go to London, when we go to everything else, we would meet all these black people. What's up, man? Like, hey, what's up? And we know that we spoke different, but it was like this thing of like going to different countries, connecting with black people. But we knew that it was a thing of like light-skinned people, right? With light-skinned people, they had this thing like this edge to them. Mm. You know, because people edge. have like an edge of just like, oh, they're going to try a light-skinned person and light-skinned person's everything else. They like it's colorism a little bit. Yeah, yeah. My mother's fairly light-skinned and my dad's dark-skinned. So, and her, some of the, sometimes you're like, oh, there's like a light-skinned girl. So, you know, there's like a stigma with light-skinned girls. But like in you, when you grew up, you probably didn't feel that stigma. No, what's the stigma about? We would consider you red bones. What is that? But what's the stigma? You know, light-skinned girls are pretty. Light-skinned girls are, uh, uh, light-skinned, light-skinned girls are pretty. Um, light-skinned girls fight a lot. Mm. That's more like a, of a southern, a southern thing. It's just like you light skin, so mm. it's like a, a colorism between. And it's and it's. Oh, let me back it up even further. It was a symbolism of just like the dark skinned people throughout slavery were outside because they were in the fields, and the light skinned people were inside the house. Mm. So you probably heard that thing, house nigga versus field nigga. That's where they got it from. Of just like the light skinned people were like with the master, and they were like in the bed and everything else, and all the dark people were like in the fields cutting everything. So it was like their way of like making sure that black people never connected. It's like, we're gonna give this people in the house versus the people in the field. They don't eat together, they connect like that. Mm. So it's like divide and rule. The stigma comes from being ruled. Yeah, but mm. as we got older, we realized black people were just black as black. But it's like growing up as a light-skinned girl, like, oh, she thinks she better. And it's like that stigmatism that was passed down throughout America of just like field nigga, house, everything else. <clears throat> mm. I think that's probably, I think it's less formal than that, maybe, okay. in the UK. But I don't know, because I didn't grow up in a school with mixed. Um, but I, there definitely is racism in schools. I think racism in Britain itself is kind of insidious and kind of subtle. And what do you mean insidious? Ne- what do you mean? Meaning it's there but you can never point at it. So in America, you have specific laws, right? You had- Jim Crow. You had like signs, yeah. <laughs> you had signs and you had, um, you know, physical consequences for breaking certain laws, which were explicitly about race. Mm-hmm. Britain has never explicitly made any laws about race. So they, everything is implicit or policies are designed in such a way as to affect certain groups of people without saying it. Give me an example. What policies are to affect certain people? Um, well, there are, there are some around policing, for example. So there was a law in the 80s that the police can stop people on the grounds of conspiracy to rob persons unknown, meaning you look suspicious, meaning you can be stopped for looking suspicious at the discretion of the police officers. Most of the police officers um, recruited and who move up in the organization are, were white, that's still true, and the places that they were policing were areas where lots of people had moved from the Caribbean to the UK, so Brixton is one famous example. That's where all the black people were in Brixton, yes. They were, yes. 
They still are. It's oh, that's when we kept changing. Kept making jokes about Brixton. Wait, say that again. All the comedians kept making jokes about Brixton the whole time. What white comedians? Black comedians kept saying, "Are you from Brixton?" Da da da. They kept asking same jokes about like growing up in Brixton, like the black, like Nigeria. We're my Nigerians versus Caribbeans. They would call <laughs> uh, oh, you went to black club? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I went to. I was all, I was going to everything. Black, white, anything that they would throw me up, I was going. But I yeah. it was like a lot of jokes with the punchline was Brixton. Mm, okay. Yeah, so there's a big Afro-Caribbean population there. Um, or, for example, at the moment, there's a scandal called the Windrush scandal, where lots of people who moved over when Britain wanted people to work, mm -hmm. they had, so they wanted people to work. They got people from the Caribbean to come here, saying that it, you know, advertising Britain, that it's going to be great and you can live in the motherland and all that kind of thing. Um, and then when they moved here, it wasn't like that. Um, they, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say. They put them in the project buildings instead of like, they told them you're going to come rebuild England and have like all this money and stuff like that. And then they put up. Oh, so people who've lived here for about 50 years, they lived their whole lives here, worked their whole lives here, contributing, are now, lots of people are being deported back to the Caribbean at quite old ages, so six, and people in their 60s are being um, taken to, um, they're being sort of, well, arrested really, like on Sunday mornings when they're in bed to go to be deported for this reason or that reason. But it's, it's only that I've heard of happening to, it started happening to other people more recently, but there's a whole thing called the Windrush scandal, which is basically the current government wanting to move people from the Caribbean out. And it's, host, it's called a hostile environment. It has a name, right. <laughs> which is the, yeah. So yeah, it's, Britain has a way of getting, getting the same thing done, but without, without being culpable, without people saying, look, you're doing what you're doing is wrong. No, that's not what we're blatant. doing. That's completely blatant racism right there. It is blatant, but there's no, it doesn't, that's not, the government haven't said we're trying to deport people from the Caribbean because we don't want them here because they're black and we believe that Britain should be white. But that's what they're saying. Deporting black it's what they say with actions, but not, it's not, not written anywhere. I always wonder how American racism is so loud when we got it from the British. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'll, relating to the colorism thing you were talking about, so the Caribbean is more explicit about color, I believe. I don't know too much about the Caribbean. I've not been there and I'm not from there, but uh, in the same way that you're talking about how whether you'd be in the house or working in the field, there's like a very concrete reason that skin color is important. It's literally about your quality of life, the length of life you're going to live and how much pain that you're going to feel mm. will depend on the tone of your skin. Mm. So in Jamaica, that was way more formal. So they do, they will say things like you're talking about in the South, they'll be like, that person's red, that person's high color, they're fair skin. They And they, the closer to white you are, probably the more money you have in Jamaica, for example. That's what Bob Marley had a hard time with being, he was mixed. Yeah, but a lot of uh, 
um, Caribbean people are mixed because slave owners raped their slaves. Yeah, his dad was like a German something, and his mom was... Yeah, and Scottish people owned... That's a ridiculous... I don't know what the percentage is, but a very high yeah, proportion of Scottish... Yeah, sometimes Irish owned slaves. Like, we were slaves too. I was like, the indentured servants are completely different than slaves. You guys could leave. Where's this? Sorry? It's Scot Scottish. A lot of Irish people like down here go, we were slaves too. I was like, you guys were like indentured servants, meaning that you mm. could leave after you were done. I was like, the black people couldn't leave. Yeah, I think, well, it's interesting that I, the Irish are, are historically, like, yeah, terribly treated by the English. Mm -hmm. And they, yeah, it's weird because they've, like, moved over to America and then, like, really gone in for segregation and being white. It's like a promotion or, like, being white is a promotion. That's crude, but, like, a... No, I mean, a, that's honestly, it's just, like, the it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rare thing of just your whiteness might not work in your country, but in another country, it's a completely elevated. Yeah, I guess in between England and Ireland, there was no talk about who was white. That's not really, that's not really the basis for the violence of the English to the Irish. But I guess, yeah, if you came to, if you emigrated as a poor Irish person to America and then discovered that, wait a minute, you're white and that means you're in this caste above these other people and you can never leave your car, like, you could do anything, but you'll still get to be still better white. treated than the people who are in this other cast to you. Then, I mean, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so we're in our teen years, we're adolescence, right? As you go through puberty and stuff like that, mm. did you ever find your, your friends being attracted to you and being like weirded out a little bit because you guys grew up together? Or is it a small town where there's not that many people? <laughs> Um, we used to call it Stevie Wonder made a song called Jungle Fever. Oh, oh, what do you mean? Does anyone was anyone attracted to me in like a yeah, you're a black racist, beautiful yeah. black girl, and all of a sudden you start developing breasts, you start developing, you know, you're going through puberty. What's that like going through puberty? You're a black mm. woman, a young black woman, and then you know your friends, all your friends like Francis, they're all going through puberty. What's that like? Um, I guess I don't really remember it too much, mm. but probably because I don't really want to. Okay. But I think, it's definitely uncomfortable and it could be uncomfortable. I didn't really want it to be a, a thing. It's like, Maybe everyone feels that in puberty where it's like uh, something is happening to you which makes other people around you suddenly treat you differently. Oh, and you get spots. Like it's like a, it's just like a, something that happens. If I remember it as something that happened to me rather than, I didn't, I wasn't really present, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like when you go through puberty, for me, it's like mm. all of a sudden, you know, you know, for me, I, I like girls, but at the same time, it was just like, whoa, these people are starting to become developed. Where does this come from? Then mm. in our in our middle school, we'd have to have a talk with all the boys. They would bring us all into this gym and show us a girl's body on a on like a, a drawn up thing. Like these are a girls' breasts. This is what's gonna happen as you get twelve. 
They're going to start to grow. It's okay to be this. This is puberty. This is what you have. This is what happens. And they, like, all did it. And then, like, our parents have, like, the birds and the bees talk with us. Mm -hmm. You're going to be attracted to everything else. But I'm curious because you're growing up in the 90s, right? And that's when we were, like, a part of, like, my friends dating white girls, everything else. Like, everybody was mixing all these races. So being a black girl was your attraction, like, were you attracted to, like, girls, boys, or you just blocked that out completely? Mm. That's what I was attracted to. Sorry? Like, in your adolescence, is like how you slowly start becoming and forming your, your inner thoughts, you know? I think usually that's how it happens. I think it depends on the kind of adolescence. Mm. You have, I think, what you're describing sounds like... Um, like a classic, like um, how it is for a lot of people where adolescence, there's a time where feelings are awoken and there's new, this like kind of excitement and strangeness and newness. And I think that's great. I, I, I don't remember that being the case for me. I remember... Um, It's hard to describe, but I would say I had absorbed the idea that whatever I was, was not welcome in the world. Wow. Therefore, I was kind of um, going through the motions of everything. Meaning when it came to stuff where everybody was emotionally involved or excited, like experimenting with sex and drugs and rebelling and all those things, I wasn't really present. So I wasn't really engaged in that. I didn't really have, I had a lot, a lot of friends and a lot of people liked me. I liked people. I liked, I had crushes, but it was all very muted, I would say. Like it wasn't. It was like everything was in black and white. It's not really like, wasn't really happening to me because I wasn't really there. So you actively muted yourself because you thought the world wasn't ready for what you were going to become. Um, I guess the world, meaning my experiences that I'd had in my life up to that point, gave me the indication because I didn't, it wasn't like I was... I guess I'd traveled to different places, but I wasn't, I hadn't lived in lots of different towns, gone to lots of different schools, had siblings who had their friends around, or I didn't really, there wasn't really a lot of other influence. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really, I didn't get the impression that any, anywhere would be very accepting, mm. which is not accurate, but it's just based on the information I had at the time. So I didn't really actively mute myself. I suppose it's like a subconscious process where you learn that what you are is not acceptable. So you kind of disown it or like you reject it as well because you want to be accepted. You, you're trying to assimilate with, it's called socialization, right? You learn what, what society and family likes and you do more of that. And then the things they don't like, you say, oh, I don't do that. Or that's not me. I don't like it. And 
I'm not that kind of person. And then you forget about it. Yeah. And then if you ever see it in someone else, you think, oh, I'm not like that. So, but if you do that with things that are really important to who or what you are, you're not left with very much, just kind of copying or anticipating what other people want right. rather than because the things that are core to you are unacceptable. So you've sort of repressed them and forgotten about them. So it's a bit like being a sleepwalker. Oh, wow. It's very interesting, mm. sleepwalker. Mm. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, right? Inside the LGBTQIA um, community, mm. would you, before you were transitioning, right? Did you identify as maybe I'm bisexual, maybe I'm gay? Did you think about that? Like with your crushes or were your crushes specifically on girls or boys, like when you had crushes growing up? Mm -hmm. Most of my crushes were on girls and actually, I think all were pretty much, I was attracted to boys as well, but I didn't really have like romantic crushes. It was more just like, like a sexual feeling. And then it would, mm -hmm. I don't know, it wasn't very, it wasn't like, a, you know, you have a crush on someone, you kind of daydream about them. Yes, yes. So yeah, I would daydream about girls, for example. Um, but yeah, I think I've identified as pretty much everything. Sorry, did, could you express that? Like like the feeling of like, um, you're attracted to girls and you're a girl at the time. Did you feel like no one would understand that? Yeah, I think I, yeah, I've identified. So I've had a lot of the experiences that, well, I don't really know actually, but I've had the same experiences. But um, yeah, I came out as bi and then lesbian and then what age was that? Back that up, though. So you were bi for, like, what age did you identify as bisexual? I think I told friends I was bi, like, when I was, like, 15. How did they receive that when you uh, came out to them? Um, I guess we were kind of misfits as a bunch, so it was fine. Oh, that's good. Yeah, community. Uh, I wouldn't say community, but it definitely, like, receptive. Like, it was, it was acceptable to be by, I'd say, in my school. It was quite a, quite a tolerant Catholic school in some ways. So like a few of the teachers were out as gay, things like that. That's good that this, there was something that, so as you're- And in other ways, it was very intolerant in that there was quite um, widespread bullying of gay people. Usually, it's basically non gender non-conforming boys would be bullied by other kids and the teachers would, wouldn't do anything. Wait, wait, back that up. Say that again. Gender. So but basically a boy who is not being masculine in some way. Okay. He will be publicly shamed by the other boys to make him either do that or just to for them to say that we're not like that. I understand that. Toxic masculinity. That's what I... Like in a sport, like in a sport, when we played like American football... It was very mm -hmm. aggressive. It was very like rah, rah, rah. So a lot of our emotions were hidden because we were screaming and yelling at each other. But like growing up, my, my cousin was gay. My cousin was gay. And I guess like the people that I went to high school were gay and we never, like I never, his name was Leroy. And he was just, it was just, it is what it is because we were all foreigners in a different country. So it wasn't just like, okay, you're gay. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. we're, we're rocking with it, you know? And I think it's just now, since it's more acceptable or there's more information mm. that people are slowly getting out of their ways and start understanding that a person is just a person. Mm. My, so as you go to being bisexual, when do you get that comfortability 
tell your mom, hey, this is who I am now? Or do you not tell your family or your nan or anyone else? Or do they, uh, does your parents know exactly who you are? Yeah, I think for a lot of, some people's parents know who they are and then they they sort of wait for the child to come out later and they're sort of mm. accepting. And some people see how their children are when they're young and they don't want that for them. They don't want them to be the way they are. So they pretend not to notice. And then whenever it comes up, kind of they, what's the word? Disincentivize the, their child to ever come out to them. So they'll say things like, oh, I, I would be upset if you were, if you were gay. But they'll say it in passing, yeah. but it's a kind of, I think so. Um, how did you, how do, how was it for your experience? Um, I came out at 17 and it was fine enough. Wasn't, wasn't super well received, but it was okay. What do you mean? Like who wasn't well received? Your mother, your nan or cousin? Um, no, most of the family don't care. It's it's really just me and my mum. It's my only family, so. Oh really? Okay. Apart from my my nan, but yeah, my nan was okay with it. Hmm. Do you feel right? So your nan. So as you, well, my question is, from fifteen to seventeen, you kept that a secret, or was it just only for your immediate friends? Because this is when Ellen. This is when Ellen comes out, right? Because we're, we're both the same age, so Ellen comes out. Or was that a big deal in London or nobody care? Uh, no, I don't think. Well, I don't think my... <laughs> I know it was a big deal later. Ellen, I know that. Like, yeah. There used, to be a, there used to be a pop culture website called AfterEllen.com, which was about pop culture literally after that moment of After Ellen coming out. Um. But yeah. So we're, we come out to our mother's bisexual, she receives it. And when do you identify as lesbian? Uh, I guess about 17. 17. So do you yeah, I think when you're, when you're a girl, people ask you a lot um, who you're dating. Oh. oh Something yeah. that people don't ask men as much. That is a really good, I don't know. Most of that, when they're talking to dudes, like, who are you with? You got a girl. Mm. But it's kind of crazy on this society, we just associate women to be with somebody. Yeah, I think as in, like, family members will ask you. So they're like, check. You got a nice boy that you're talking to? And you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's always that kind of thing, yeah. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it depends on the family as well, if they do it to girls and boys the same. So we identify as lesbian. Do you, what type of lesbian were you? Were you like a butch lesbian or you feminine? I don't know the search. I just think I only know butch and mm -hmm. did you cut your hair, change your dress? Because you said in the beginning your mom didn't want you to wear pants like so many like boys clothes or do you adopt the boys clothes now? Um, yeah. I guess this reminds me of, interestingly enough, talking to people growing up about being black. 
Wow. Um, who are kind of curious. And um, there are lots of like details that people want to know or like check their ideas of what you might be with what you are. So like, I know this about people like you, is that true? Or I know this about people like you, is that true? Mm. Mm. This reminds me of that. Well, it's because in America, we identify completely different, right? There's a stand-up comedian. Have you heard of Sam J? Do you know who she is? No. <coughs> you should watch the show. It's called Pause. She's black. Mm. She's a lesbian. And she talks about, like, I have to identify as black. Then I have to identify as a lesbian. Then I have to go through all this. She goes, all these boxes that I'm completely different. So it's being black is already a struggle. Then being gay is already a struggle. So it's like different boxes that black people are doing because everything black people do is like succumb to the different place because there's pretty much there's racism in the gay community too mm. you know yeah it's funny because there's racism in the gay community and then a lot of black people don't like anything not heterosexual or not um or, yeah it, it depends though it depends where you're from it depends where you're from. yeah yeah it totally depends Sometimes it's just like black people don't you don't deal with it until it's in your family Mm. when it's in your family that's when you identify as just like oh that's my cousin oh that's that's my cousin Jermaine that's my dog Leroy he's gay but that's my dog that's who he is yeah I think that's the same with um, white people as well or at least here mm -hmm. yeah because you're like you're 17 you're a lesbian you're black you're black you're a black girl you're a black girl you're a black teenager so all these things are happening and you're still inside a small town. When do you say like, you're ready to go to college? When does that happen? <laughs> like, I'm going to college. Maybe I can meet people who are like me or something like that. Like, like a Jedi's request. I'm trying to meet more other Jedi's. <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, I wanted to go to London. So I, and I chose universities in London Why to London? apply to. Big about London. Is there other big cities in England that people like to go international cities? Um, there's Manchester and Birmingham. Okay. But London's a big one because it's like a world hub. Mm, okay. Mm. So you graduate high school. Let's go back to high school. Do you guys have prom there? Do you know what a prom? Do y'all have a prom? Like We had a prom, yeah. Did you go or no? Yeah, I went. When, who'd you go with? Friends? I think we all went as a group. Yeah, it's like friends. I think. Yeah, we all got like a rented a car, but it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's more like um, we have in England, we have like a school disco. <laughs> so, yeah. Like here, it's a big deal. Promise. Mm. People rent limousines, everything else. Rolls Royce. It's like a, it's a, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> even crazier now. Mm, it's kind of like a wedding day. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's like a ball, like a like a red carpet event. Mm -hmm. So, seventeen, we graduate. What type of student were you in high school? All A's. Pretty much. All A's. Well, y'all said A's are all top school. Uh, well, what's what did you say? Sorry. Like all good grades, were you like one of the very like high performing students? Uh, I wasn't like one of the very high performing, except in English. But uh, yeah, I did like quite well. 
So you, what's that like when you get accepted to college? You remember that feeling? Like, oh man, I'm going to college. I got accepted. Did you bring home your college acceptance letter? I don't think I was. I don't. Yeah, I was still not very. I was just kind of doing what I was supposed to do. I was like, um, I was supposed to go to like a Russell Group University, uh, like a Ivy League, our equivalent of Ivy League, and do well. And so I was kind of just doing that. I think I had the idea that I wanted to have a gap year. Do you have these? We don't have it. Like, Canadians do it. After you finish high school, you take a year off, right? Yeah. Um, but then, I, yeah, I didn't do that in the end, and I, I just went to, to TMSD. What's the college called? TMSD? What's TMSD? That's what you just said. What did you just say? Uh, I went to university. Oh, university. That's what we call it. Yeah, we call it. Yeah, TMSD. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We call it university or uni. Uni, okay. Uni. But yeah, so I went... Um, I went there, and then, yeah, I started c coming out more, and meeting more LGBT people and yeah. Did your friends go to the same college as you or what was that like, like leaving? Do you remember the day you pack everything up and like, bye mom, I'm getting on the tube? Um, yeah, I mean, my family is pretty dysfunctional and, and uh, my mom had a boyfriend at the time and it was kind of messy. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't, yeah, it was, it's kind of stressful. Yeah. So yeah. you left to college is more like a freedom a little bit, a relief. You're like, I'm finally out. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, yeah, like my, I'm probably, I'm 31 now and I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I don't really have like um, fond, rosy memories of like school, university, really. My like fun memories begin probably like mid 20s. Then I started having like more, I don't know, more feeling more connected to my own life probably. You probably, is it because you think you probably developed who the person that you are now? It's like the, the baby steps of getting there. Maybe, I transitioned when I was about 24, so I think it was probably after then. So let's go before the transition. You're 18, you're in college, right? Mm. School comes easy to you. Are you really working hard? Or is it just like whatever you're going through the motions? I'm just going through the motions. Yeah, I did. I worked hard. I I kind of worked the same way that I'd always worked, which is like fairly hard. What did you study? Not, not passionate, just working hard. What were you? I I studied English literature for a year, and then I switched to philosophy. Oh. I'd actually wanted to drop out in the after the first year and do music. Really. Mm. Yeah. You can rap, sing? Uh, play piano. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did, I did piano grades uh, throughout, throughout school. And yeah, I loved music. That's probably something I felt passionate about, but didn't, I didn't do it at that point anyway. But I was doing it, but just so by myself. With the first people you meet in college, what's that like when you start meeting this college bunch? Because you leave the high school. Um, Who was the first person you met when you were out there? It's like 2007, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the first people I met was um, 
someone who's who he was training to be a pharmacist at the time i think now he's or at least he was billing himself as like um or themselves as london's um premier muslim drag queen i don't know if they're still doing it but yeah so that was one of the first people i met and um he at the time i don't know his now but like was like very lively and would like go out to things and we'd go together i met like interesting people like i met monroe bergdorf and other people like before and yeah just like going out in london was great what is it about london you know what is it about do you feel more culturally accepted because you meet more black people in london more people inside your community do you feel like oh wow this is what i this is what i was missing growing up yeah i'm starting to feel that now i think i mean king's college london philosophy course was all white people as well i think maybe apart from maybe one other person who was maybe asian but um so and the jobs i got after that were mostly white white people as well I got a job at PRS for music a couple of years ago, which where black people were working as well. So that was nice not to be the only one. But yeah, it's only recently that I've made, I think it's more like um, sometimes things around you reflect what you're thinking or beliefs you have without realizing. So I think um, I kind of rejected a lot of things to do with being black because all right, folks, that was part one of episode 102, The Legend of Jed Cass. Ladies and gentlemen, met him out in London when I was out there two years ago doing stand-up. What a beautiful, amazing person. And uh, stick around. Stay tuned. Part two will be dropping Friday. Part two will be, dro- part two will be dropping fr- Friday. Let me slow down. Part two, part two, Pop-Tarts. Part two will be dropping Friday. And after we drop part two, we'll put all the episodes together. We'll put all the part one and part two together so you can listen to it the whole way if you would like that. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, this is the podcast One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Have a wonderful day. Good night, good morning, whenever you're listening to this. See you soon. Hey, you're live on the podcast One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, said, I just want to say, man, you the GOAT, man. And you the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.